today, Sam Pettit. Yep, Hi. that's me. How you doing today, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you want to take a quick minute and introduce yourself? I am Sam Pettit. I recently graduated from the U of O with a degree in political science, and yeah, that's been, yeah, that's me. Yeah, and I read your uh, dissertation, was it? A thesis. Thesis. Yep, on Hundred, populism. 180 pages on populism. And yeah. <laughs> where I'm coming from it is... So the populist party is more or less what what Trump is. Like he, you said, he was the most popular example. Yeah, I think he's the biggest example of success of populism in the United States, just that he's gained higher office. And you see a lot of populist actors in the 20th century, like George Wallace, who tried to do the same thing, but they were always forced to run as third party candidates. Do you think populism is inherently a good or a bad thing? I mean... I wouldn't say it's inherently either of those things. I think what I try to talk about in my thesis is that populism is not so much an ideology as it is sort of a mode of articulation or just a way of defining the political field. And that's why you see it appear on both the right side of the political spectrum and the left side. Yeah. And and that's where it kind of gets hazy for me is it's like whoever gets the the, the you know, the, the more of the nation to vote from. It's like the first cross the line kind of thing where whoever mm-hmm. gets more hypothetically i mean hypothetically paleo would want if that was true but really that comes down to who has more money to buy propaganda to Mm -hmm. kind of convince people of name recognition and to vote for them so is populism really good or is the electoral college are they like opposing opposing ways of voting or so so describe what populism is just for myself and other people yeah well i mean (laughs) it's Populism is sort of a hard thing to define because a lot of people have used it in different ways and to mean different things. And so some people argue that populism is kind of a non-word because if it can be used to describe someone like Donald Trump and then also used to describe someone like Bernie Sanders. Then or how an useful? Party. Yeah, or an entire party. Then how useful of a term is it really? But what I, the way I just think of populism is it's used to describe political actors or parties who kind of just broadly defined because i feel like for most people the political sphere is divided between different ideologies of left wing or right wing but for the populace it's not about left wing or right wing it's just the people versus some other i can't think classically it's so would hitler be a populist no he would be a fascist and that's something that's different although you can definitely have i mean Populism isn't really a political ideology in the same way that fascism or communism is and it can be Attach, but you can definitely attach it to those different things. There can be fascists who are populists and communists who are populists. Okay, because I always thought the political spectrum was like left wing, right wing, and then uh, libertarian and communist. Or no, what is fascist and communist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, it wouldn't even fall anywhere on that spectrum. It'd be like the well, another, it can be anywhere in that really. It's it'd be a different axis altogether, though. Yeah, it's just a way of defining the political sphere, and really. it, then it would go from fascism to populism. Uh, like fascism would be the polar opposite of populism not necessarily i think they could easily be used in the same way i think fascism like populism also kind of creates a strong idea of the state and the people being very much connected with the state or at least that's my understanding of it i like it what would be the best way for politics to move toward (laughs) like it's a it's a it's a chaotic thing that's just all about raising money right now you know Mm -hmm. for sure definitely um well yeah i guess if i think that would be definitely a good thing to stop happening make it easier for or not make it less about how much money the person has or how much money they have to raise because that's definitely a hampering on who can really run or get their voice out there because i think 
I think what you said earlier is true. It is a lot about name recognition. I think that's why with the Joe Democratic Biden. race you have right now, Joe Biden is the leader, mostly just because of the name recognition alone. And I think also there's just so many people running, it's hard to pick people out of a crowd. But I think if you didn't have to worry about raising money so much to get awareness, and if it was sort of more of a thing that was easier to access, you could get people to look at candidates who maybe get overlooked easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... If you were to describe yourself, would you say you're left-wing leaning or like strongly left-wing? I would, I, I don't know how, sometimes I feel like I'm strongly left-leaning and then I look at other people, I'm like, oh no, they're much stronger than <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I really don't know. So I've, I've, the more I've kind of been going on the internet, I'm like, I really wonder what kind of media the right wing is eating up. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it, you're like, you know what? That's almost equally as convincing as the left-wing propaganda. Mm-hmm. And so I've gone more toward the middle. I used to be totally like, like Bernie, you know, ride or die kind of person. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? I'm not so sure how I feel about the left wing either. It's a weird thing. Do you think a third party is realistic to ever actually happen? Not unless the current system that we have in the United States, which is two party kind of first past the post majoritarian system. I think that would have to change for any third party to have any shot whatsoever. Or it would just have to be a bunch of people, like a, a base of one party just suddenly deciding, like if a bunch of Republicans were like, you know what, we just hate the Republican Party. We're all going libertarian. If there's just yeah. a mass exodus well, Trump was another almost party. a third party. Like he really wasn't Republican, you know? No, he, he was, was very different. And I think when he got the nomination, a lot of people initially thought that it was sort of a crisis moment for the Republican Party or that they might dissolve or something. I think obviously they've formed around Trump for better or worse for them. Yeah. But I think that was an interesting moment at the time where he did get nominated and he was very not I mean, he used to be a Democrat. He, he used to that fine. He used to say that he was a Democrat. So really? he's definitely not like a Ted Cruz or do you think some, he's a, a, a pretty evil person? It seems like most people on the left tend to just hate him. Like not even listening. They can't even engage in a conversation where he might have some good qualities. It's 100% bad, you know? Yeah, I think, I don't know. (laughs) I don't think he's very smart or intelligent. And I feel like evil kind of prescribes some idea of, you know what you're doing. I'm not sure he means to do most of the things he's doing. Although I feel like some people have this conspiracy that's like, oh no, it's all planned. He knows exactly what he's doing. I don't think he knows what he's doing. Like his entire life's WWE wrestling where it's just all like a fake, uh, fake thing he puts on. Yeah, I'd say it's less... I mean, evil, I I don't know. I feel like it's more just the extreme level of ignorance that's how destructive and just kind of capitalizing off the worst impulses of society right now, which yeah. is outraging people, just getting like all the attention from being kind of outrageous. It's weird. Social media is just pushing it more and more toward outrage culture. For sure. Which pushes people more right wing, but... Social media. I think tends it pushes to go people more right wing and left wing. I yes. think you see strong followings on social media for both the far left and the far right. It's just divide. And then the fact that they let things like Russian trollbot farms like even divide us more. It's like what is going on? You know? Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people you hear calling for more accountability from those from corporations that control the spread of information, like Google or Facebook, to kind of try and combat misinformation because i feel like that's it's almost like you want to try and stay informed and you want to see what's going on in the world but there's just so much misinformation out there and it's hard to really know what to trust and of course there are kind of the 
fallback scholarly articles and mm-hmm. you can really if you're really into checking your sources you can try and but who has find the time out. for that you know yeah it's hard <laughs> if you kind of go through the whole process it's hard to you can do that for some issues certainly but it's hard to stay informed for all issues and really knowing that the sources you're following you can trust you can kind of just have to pick a couple and it's kind of just deciding what to believe you just have to find a couple sources like okay i believe them for the most part and what they'll say i'll just try and follow but then that's sort of a you can get in a trap with that sometimes a huge trap it seems like the majority of people are now at a place where it's like i've made up my mind don't confuse me with the facts yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) it's easier that way it is easier that way i mean you spent four years of college kind of studying this are you at a Mm -hmm. place where you think it's like oh it's pretty understandable or is it just chaos even still um I think there are ways to make it more understandable, and I think going to college definitely helps me, or just give me the tools to help recognize what are good sources or what's what sources you can see as doing their homework, if checking their facts, and aren't just publishing things with no sources. What do you think about the, what's that one that Jeff Bezos owns, The Guardian or Amazon? The Washington Post? Yeah, but he owns a news outlet oh, yeah, that like yeah. specifically hates Trump. Mm-hmm. You know, and whenever someone has an agenda like that, I'm like, you know what? I don't really like Trump either, but I can't believe you just because I know that's your agenda is to bash him, you know? Yeah. Well, that's also hard because you can't really have, it's hard to get completely neutral, no agenda whatsoever. But I think we would, I think kind of you get this idealistic idea of say the Edward R. R. Murrow or old kind of television broadcasting where it's just, they report the facts and then they have op-ed pieces where the people do give their opinions, but that's separated from usually just reporting the facts. Yeah. But I feel like, well, in reporting the facts is like the ultimate form of propaganda. Like I think we have more, um, instead of going toward 1984, I think we've been going toward Brave New World, where instead mm. of like more control, like you can know less stuff, lo- n- see less information like it used to be, we're overwhelmed so that we ignore it, you mm-hmm. know, where I think you have the options to hypothetically see the truth, but you're so bombarded that you just ignore it all. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know what the solution for that is. Like the other the solution for the other one is like, all right, have freedom of the press. But like the way things used to be, I think was more propagandized. The only way that you could get information was from a few news outlets owned by these mega corporations. And now mm-hmm. there's like some more independent. There are some outlets. more independent, but the kind of consolidation of corporate ownership has gotten even worse, really. And so that's sort of the whole couple corporations owning more and more news stuff that's sort of more pronounced today yeah. especially if the whole sinclair broadcasting group owning a lot of public yeah uh, did, did you ever see that like news outlet where it should show like a hundred news um, stations yeah. doing the exact same thing that's <laughs> and scary. that's some real scary uh, futuristic stuff there it is man um to go back a little bit what is what is the the tea party and Mm. uh the t- the other 2008 one that came out of that the occupy movement yeah so what what is the difference between those because you hear those terms a lot but mm-hmm. i personally have no idea what they are mm-hmm. well i think that's a good example of how what we were talking about earlier if populism can arise on both the left side and the right side because i'd say both of those movements were populist but they're on completely different ends of the political spectrum i say with the occupy movement it was very similar to the earliest populist parties in the u.s from the 19th century that were just the populist party and it's really was a big backlash to the 2008 recession and to the widespread belief that the 1% is sort of controlling the world and taking up all the wealth and giving less power to the people. And that's really what populism is all about, taking giving power back to the people. So populism kind of inherently seems good then, I would almost say. Yeah, I think a lot of people who kind of see 
how populism was in its earliest forms, which sort is? of which would be agrarian movements in the in U, the U.S. and Russia that were mostly. I mean, the the populist party of the 19th century wouldn't be really progressive by today's standards because they sort of tacitly endorsed Jim Crow laws and such. But I mean, ah. for their time, they were really kind of forward thinking. Was that and, because the majority of people were in the South? That couldn't. Be. Yeah, the majority of their supporters were white Southerners, and while their initial platforms were towards racial inclusion, that didn't. A lot of white Southerners didn't like that, so they kind of pushed back on those issues more and so even the ideas of like the earliest populist parties that were more about economics and less about immigration even then they were still had some uh not so good views on identity politics and yeah other immigration absolutely. issues. so you mentioned a couple other countries there is there any other countries that have two-party systems or maybe used to but then had a third party and how did they make that shift well, I mean, the UK has a big two-party system as well, and a populism has, I'd say, it's interesting because you'd think populism would do better in countries that have proportional representation, which is that you just get as many seats in the legislature as the percentage of votes you get. So if there are 100 seats and you win 10% of the vote, then you get 10 seats. And okay. so that makes it easier for small, like that's... So more proportional instead of half pass or the first pass. Yeah. And so those half uh, majoritarian systems, half uh, first pass the post, yeah. that leads to two party systems like you have in the US and the okay. UK. But proportional representation, you can get five major parties or even more. And so do they have one like ruler, like a president kind of person, or they don't even have that? They just have a council. Uh, well, that's that's then there's a completely different thing versus the presidential system versus the parliamentary system. And some countries like France have both a president and a prime minister. Okay. So that gets even a little more complicated there. Yeah. Do you think one of those two is better? Having one person kind of be the, the face of the world or having a group of people? And that even gets to a further point. Like having a president mm -hmm. is supposed to be like, okay, this person's like an outstanding citizen. This is like mm -hmm. a role model of a human being, but they also have to be incredibly, like spend all their time. Yeah. You know? So it's like, <laughs> it's almost asking too much out of a it person. It really is. And especially with how much larger the, just the US presidency has grown and how much more responsibility the presidents take. It's sort of an impossible job that we still expect people to do. And yeah. so it's no wonder that you see like the before and after pictures of Obama going in mm -hmm. and out of the White House and just how much worse he looks afterwards. You know, people don't talk about the downsides of obama but he did some kind of shady stuff mm -hmm. um do you what do you what, what's your take on obama um well i feel like it's easy to be positive on obama right now considering oh the current gosh, administration yeah. it's Absolutely. sort of just like the guy could speak in complete sentences i love him <laughs> all right anyways but uh he i mean he raided more like marijuana medical marijuana dispensaries he like increased he bombed more people than like he hmm. did some kind of shady stuff but he only seems to get praised and i think he was incredible he was a really good on the role model side of president something that mm -hmm. trump seems to be pretty horrible at i mean i do think when you do read like the manifestos of these these horrible shooters they, it, they are reiterating the rhetoric that Trump is espousing in mm -hmm. his speeches, you know? And it's hard to deny that. Like, when is that going to kind of show itself in a way that people are, like, holding him accountable? Will he ever be held accountable? That doesn't even make sense. I really feel like, I, I really hope so. And I feel like that's why people are getting more in favor of impeachment or at least starting the proceedings. Because it's less about 
would he actually get impeached, which seems a little unlikely, but it's more about just trying to hold him accountable for the things he's done, possibly allowing meeting with foreign governments or allowing interference into the election or just trying to obstruct justice or whatever it feels like he's done. It's, I mean, impeachment almost seems not worthwhile. He's so close to being out. But do you think there's any chance that he could win again? Oh, I think there's a very real chance he could win again, which really? is what I find concerning. I mean, I think it's easy to kind of in the Eugene... Oregon area we're kind of in a very liberal bubble so when mm -hmm. you talk to most people it seems like most people don't like him but I don't think and I'm sure he has lost supporters especially with his kind of trade wars that have hurt agricultural workers but I think he still has a very loyal base and I that's going to come out to vote for him and I think that's the big issue with 2016 elections I don't think the Democrats were able to energize the base enough to go or not just the base but energize potential Democratic votes to go out and vote and it's so split like it is you know like all of the right is just going to vote for trump more and not like i mean that's a huge generalization but all of the mm -hmm. left is like oh i want yang and i want tulsi gabbard and i mm -hmm. want you know it's like it's so split that it's just kind of yeah it's definitely especially right now since we're kind of really just starting the primary process and there's still so many different candidates who do you You'd like hope... have you looked into it a lot <laughs> <laughs> i'm kind of a one issue voter i'm really i feel like climate change is the biggest issue facing us right now we which do. is why i like jay inslee because i think he's the toughest on did or he at least just he's drop the... out did he i don't think so i believe okay. maybe is I... he the person from the pacific northwest yes i think he just dropped out did he really yes yeah. i i haven't heard that but it does <laughs> seem that is unfortunate because i mean he wasn't invited to the climate change town hall that cnn was throwing and that's kind of his big issue so if he is out I'll, I'll have to i think it was change john size. hickenlooper who i heard recently dropped out but i don't oh yeah. it could have been him um i think thomas posted something saying like bummer that like the person representing kind of our just, uh, like place and, and issue but mm -hmm. there's one thing that i'll give trump benefit for that i've kind of heard said and that i agree with is that he is the bull in the china shop that's kind of like showing everyone the weak parts of our um of our political system like things that like as soon as someone who's actually competent gets in there they should fix because he's like making things apparent like hey outside countries can kind of interfere with who who we get elected you know mm -hmm. and like these different things and yeah like maybe a more like of a like a panther that kind of like does it like sneakily <laughs> and better would have been good but i mean as long as i mean it's messed up the world is changing so much between like social media and just how much faster time is moving now that mm -hmm. we can't just be running on the same system it doesn't even make sense mm -hmm. well i think we're just more aware of things happening around the world i wouldn't ah, i don't know yeah i feel like a lot of people talk about these days how crazy the times are and how terrible the Good world point. is but i feel like it's sort of it's probably just always been like this but we have a greater capacity now to see the world around us yeah and i mean a lot of that's probably the cassandra complex of like we want to pretend like the world's ending it's all chaos and we just like you know yeah. like, oh my god and i gotta admit a lot of that is probably why global climate change is such a big thing because mm -hmm. it used to be the bombs going off and then before that it was civil war and it's like there's always been some chaotic thing that people use to kind of put mm -hmm. off their personal growth that's true but i feel like what's probably different about climate change is just how slow moving it is i mean when the 50s when they, yeah. everyone was worried about nuclear annihilation everyone was worried that they <laughs> died tomorrow yeah but I, I don't think anyone's worried about dying tomorrow from climate change unless you live in like a place that's more prone to natural disasters uh, which the, have gotten the, more and they have the they have the least say in it you know yes exactly that's the dangerous part but i feel like we've kind of been waking up more to just how close we are to having major impacts because of climate 
like change because I feel like the the message around that used to be like, oh, well, this is something my great grandkids will have to deal with. And then it's like, oh, well, this is something my grandkids will have to deal with. And it's like, oh, shit, my kids are going to have to deal with this. And yeah. I feel like we're finally getting to the point where it's like, this is affecting me right now. Yeah. And I think it, it is going to get to that point. Like, we're not past the point of no return. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the people with, close, a, with a lot of money have kids, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like they do care. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely I, I this is, might be the optimistic side of me, but I think we are getting more aware of those issues and what to do to stop them but i guess Absolutely. the question will be if it's too late or not which i don't think it is too late i don't just think yet. it's too late but, but i mean it's a weird thing because you don't want to say that because then the people in charge will be like oh i guess there's more time to you know to yeah. just fuck over the world <laughs> but here's the thing here's um just to get my uh my one kanye point in here um mm. when he has a really good saying where it's i really don't trust people who are really rich who don't have kids because they can be really selfish and not think after the world and stuff like that but if you mm-hmm. have kids you're forced to be like i have to be accountable you know yeah i also don't think you necessarily need to care about the future of the world just because your offspring might live in it someday i think no you don't need offspring mm-hmm. but if you don't have offspring you have the option to not care yeah but i think that doesn't necessarily mean you won't care i mean i'm i i guess i'm at a point in my life right now where i don't know if i'd have kids in the future but i feel like even if i never have kids i'd still want culture to keep going you know or at least everything that we've done up to this point as a species I, there's been a lot of bad things but i think like there are some good things i absolutely like agree to... but you gotta mean i mean there's been seven great extinctions like it'd be crazy to be like we're gonna avoid a, an eighth you know yeah. or it's like it's it's bound to happen sometime we're just kind of pushing it off into the you know mm-hmm. at least i think we should at least try to push it off until the singularity to the point like where we can just upload our consciousness to the ai or whatever <laughs> like i think there will be a point where dying becomes uh an optional thing and i think as long as we kind of put off the world employ like make being uh, becoming uninhabitable for humans to that point then we're good mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know and i mean that that gets so metaphysical where it's like yeah well, is that and really I'd, real i'd like to the animals to live too i enjoy yeah animals. absolutely unless i don't know could we upload their conscious too could do you I, think they're conscious does my dog get to go to me to with me to virtual heaven <laughs> well do you think your dog's conscious do you think your dog has an inner monologue i think so i can see it on his face when he sees when he hears a noise it's the very it's the terror Oh my god! <laughs> you think so? I don't know. I am very on the fence about that. It's not something that I'm like. I ha- I don't really have a strong opinion on anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just throwing ideas around. Um, but I'm not so. Would you certain. say not having a strong opinion on anything is a strong opinion you have? Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think people get too ego attached to their opinion, which I think is the cause of the huge divide. People are like, mm-hmm. they pick a party and then they're like. Well, if, if you don't like my party, you don't like me, you know? Uh-huh. And that's getting, I feel like, especially now with the both sides kind of becoming more polarized, it is very much like where if I'm a Democrat and I meet Republican, our odds are we probably don't have much in common and the things I like, they don't like and the things they yeah. like, I don't like. And so it is very much different worldviews, different is. competing ideas of what the world should be like. Super quick, I'm going to make a pitch here right in the middle of the episode. If any okay. Republican didn't already shut it off, which they probably did, come on my show. I'd like <laughs> to, you know, have, I, I want to share the view. I want to have like right-wing people on my show as well because mm-hmm. they, they, I mean, clearly have points. If half of the country, 160 million people believe something, they can't be wrong. They could maybe be <laughs> a little wrong, but the left is just as wrong. I think the left would be the way I'd go if there wasn't the culture war. Mm-hmm. because identity politics and all that nonsense like i think they're f- there was uh the quote that naval ravikant said where he said the left won the culture war and now they're just shooting survivors and it's it's great like i mean you can't be like 
hey, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm proud to be a straight white male. You mm-hmm. can't even say that. That's a weird thing that you can't say that, you know? I mean, you can obviously say it. But. I mean, you can say it and maybe people look at you weird. But I think, I feel like it's less about saying that you're proud of it and more like society encourages me to be this way. That if I am this way, then I'm getting rewarded yeah. tacitly or <sighs> so the, the, for that. And I get that. The two sides that are like, oh, well, just because you are a straight white male doesn't mean you had a great life, but at least you weren't held back by your gender, your sexuality, mm-hmm. or your race. But I'm like, I'm not the one holding you back, though. The problem mm-hmm. isn't straight white men. It's racist people of any race or gender, mm-hmm. you know? Or well, creed. it's straight white men in power. I mean, you don't have to be ah, racist to be to negatively impact minorities. You just have to sort of not see the problem and not be aware that there even is a problem and think, well, if maybe if you specifically just tried harder, you wouldn't have these issues and don't attribute it to your race or your sexuality or something. I don't know. I I'm on the fence about all those beliefs because you see people who break that mold and like, just don't buy into the culture norms. Like Kanye got a lot of shit for it when he said like, that sounds like a choice, you know, but I think he was, he was totally being hyperbolic with his, his phrase of words, but he was mm-hmm. saying self-hate is the new racism. Like it compounds on itself. If you, if you self-hate view your... and maybe prison. Yeah. Okay. Very <laughs> true. You know, um, but that was that. Yeah. That, that gets to a, to a, and I mean, even hear us talking two white males, talking mm-hmm. about race like wh- how can we even start this discussion? I, I think i'm i think i'm a little tan you know, I don't oh know. <laughs> that's funny and then religion comes into it too where it's like and i don't know and i've been speaking with some asian people and they mm-hmm. say they're minorities i'm like but if you take the entire world into account well they're minorities within majority. the u.s yeah. although that's i mean slowly changing not so much with asian americans but more of just well, the Latin American population. Very true. And which brings into account why I think the right is so against immigration is because I heard someone say, um, the more people that immigrate, they're all going to vote left and it'll get to the point where Republicans can't win. But then I spoke to someone who uh, became a legal citizen. He's like, well, once you become a legal citizen, you might vote right because you mm-hmm. don't want illegal people coming in or like illegal people. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. An illegal I don't want alien. Yeah. Like that, that doesn't, that as a phrase doesn't even make sense. How can a person be an alien, you know? I don't know. Well, it's just, yeah, I don't really know the origins of that term, but it does, it is very dehumanizing. Yeah, right. Literally. Interesting (laughs) pedantic. Yeah, it is. It is dehumanizing. And that's the the foundation of how people like Hitler kind of did their march of doom is by dehumanizing people. Yes. That said, I do agree with people like Jordan Peterson and uh, Sam Harris, where they say the left is almost more dangerous. Like more people died under communist regimes by, uh, by like saying like, okay, anyone who owns land should be killed. And then they started the gulag and all these horrible things. And I'm like, okay, you know what? The left is going down a pretty dangerous path too. (laughs) Well, I don't think uh, any political actors in the United States are in danger of replicating what happened in China under Mao Zedong or any of those mass starvations or or any, or Stalin in Russia or anything along those lines. Okay. So let's take one of these down. Let's take Andrew Yang. Mm-hmm. And he makes it so you can you you get fifteen thousand dollars, twelve or fifteen thousand dollars. I think it was year. twelve, although was, maybe he updated it. I believe it was twelve too. And then uh, two thousand twenty-four comes up, and uh, some copycat comes and says, "Hey, everyone, I'll give you twenty-four thousand a year if you vote for me." That's, that's more money. That's it's a slippery slope to <laughs> communism, or at least social, like like to a place where physical violence is necessary to enforce the rules. 
I mean, know? we're already a place where physical violence is necessary ah, to enforce the rules. Good point. You know, because capitalism is like, um, I was just talking with Dale Dawson. He's like, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I earned what I had. And I, and I mentioned to him like, well, what about an oil billionaire's son? Did he earn it? And he said, well, his family did. And I'm like, it's hard to articulate that anyone earned what they have. Mm-hmm. Because if you're working eight hours at a grocery store and I'm working eight hours making a podcast and say my podcast makes a hundred times more money you're still working the same amount of time as me. You're probably putting in more energy, but I'm making more money. Did I really earn that money? Mm-hmm. It's just an interesting thing it is. to be against. It, it's a, it's a hard thing. You, you don't want to be against the redistribution of wealth, but you also kind of want to because we're at a place where like Amazon doesn't pay taxes, but makes a boatload of money. Yeah. Well, I've, I think, uh, you threw a lot at me there. <laughs> yeah, I did. So I just got talked for like 10 minutes. There. I think, uh, yeah, well, to go back to, I think, what we were talking about earlier with the whole um, worries about immigration letting people, uh, I think what you said was very true about, uh, I think the right was very worried about mass immigration and people then becoming citizens and then voting Democrat and then, because I think the real reason i think well i mean both sides have become polarized but i think it started with the republican party and i think that's because they saw their base as shrinking because the typical republican base is the white christian american and there are more and with more immigrants coming to the country not even just immigrants but also just people becoming more secular not i don't think we're at a point where most people are secular but it's still kind of drifting away from that the kind of typical white Christian American sees themselves as a besieged, as a minority, sees themselves as their way of life is slowly going away and coming under attack. Yeah. And so I I think you saw two different strategies with the Republican Party in the 2012 election and the 2016 election. I think I remember with Mitt Romney, he that the direction he was trying to take the party in was we're not going to win elections if we don't try to appeal to the Latino population more or to the female population more and i feel like they tried to go into that route and that they're soundly defeated by obama so i think then in 2016 you have trump where it's like no we have to double down on the constituency we already have and yeah. that seems to have worked out for them more and i don't understand why religion comes into it you won't see a political person who's like i have no religious affiliation no which the, is weird. The closest thing we've had to a non-Christian president was John F. Kennedy, who was Catholic. And that was a big deal at the time. People thought he might take orders from the Pope or something. Really? And he's the biggest deviation we've had from that in the president. And he was probably, he was, I mean, he shut down a, a false flag event with uh, trying to make a Cuban, like arm Cuban friendlies to like attack Cuban, uh, U.S. citizens and military mm-hmm. to like be like, okay, now we can go at war. It got all the way to his desk and then he vetoed it. And then he happened to get assassinated not too long later. Like, <laughs> It's a weird thing that very prominent figures in society like Gandhi, John Lennon, uh, uh, Martin Luther King, JFK, mm-hmm. like everyone who's like, hey, maybe we should even stop. his brother, Bobby Kennedy. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of big high profile assassinations in the 1960s. It's a very tumultuous time. I think a lot of people start to compare today to the 60s in terms of polarization, Ooh. but it's not even close to my mind. I mean, you look at I video didn't know the 60s were polarized. Oh, it was very, I mean, the late, yeah, definitely the late, uh, it kind of extended into the seventies. So I think maybe people remember the seventies a bit more, but definitely towards the late 1960s. I mean, that's when Kennedy and MLK got assassinated. That was what some see as the height of the civil rights movement. That was when a lot of people, that was when the Berkeley protests were happening. A lot of people were getting more, a lot of students were getting more politically engaged. And you see a lot of, I, (laughs) I took a, 
interestingly, it was a music class at the University of Oregon that was about 1960s counterculture. So it was mostly listening to the Beatles and Bob Dylan. But we also got into the cultural context behind the music. And I saw a lot of interesting clips about from the Berkeley protests and just a bunch of students. And for background, that's when the police kind of militarized and hurt. Yeah. And it was crazy just to see them going out and gassing college students college and not students. and you know just white college white affluent college students yeah and, and protesting non-violently protesting non-violently and, and just yeah. yeah that's where the dangerous thing comes in where it's like okay i'm gonna host a non-violent protest and then the opposition says oh we'll put in like a secret person to like to throw a rock at a police mm-hmm. officer to and say like okay now we can hurt the protesters because they're being violent so it's like you want to be like hey let's all start a peaceful protest but look i mean what look what's going on in hong kong that's insanity. If 40% of the U.S., that'd be 100 million people roughly, a little bit over, were protesting for a humanitarian right, and the military and the police were like, no, shut it down. Mm-hmm. How? America was literally kind of founded on like, the mm-hmm, people should exactly. kind of judge the rules. Which is why I feel like a lot of, I see a lot of people feeling a bit isolated from politics and feeling like they yeah. can never really enact change. But I feel like no matter how i mean we wouldn't really gotten democracy in the first place if that was true no matter what the rules are no matter how oppressive any government can be the true power will always reside if in the people and if how willing they are to fight back against it i think you're right except that the government and the corporations are just trying to make us dumber and more overwhelmed to to make us less inclined to like actually protest like Mm -hmm. they're trying to isolate us so that we're just easier to control you know and what's the what's the antidote to that what's the solution to that you just people have to have conversations that are rational with each other people of the left people have to listen to tiger talks (laughs) (laughs) no but people of the left and right just need to talk and just be like hey we're both human beings we want to be happy healthy and wealthy happy healthy and free you know Mm -hmm. and that's what a lot of people say you just have to get out of your own little bubble and try to talk and try to see the other side you don't necessarily have to agree but i don't think the tensions and although it's kind of an interesting thing because i feel like a lot of the polarization you see today is still sort of carried over from the civil rights movement it's still very much concerning i think the enfranchisement of minorities and other people to have voting rights what is the enfranchisement of minorities or just giving equal rights giving them equal access people are still fighting that oh uh, absolutely for sure i think i mean it's very, it's much more sneaky and insidious than it used to be. We don't have just outright Jim Crow laws, but I think with voter ID laws, which target minorities specifically, it's trying to stop them from voting, trying to stop them from exercising their political voice. And I think, I mean, especially in this, and not even just with voter ID laws, with gerrymandering, putting certain groups in a certain district so they mm-hmm. have less of an impact overall. Good point. And making it so like, if you're if you're in a black community oh the voting booth is two hours away Mm -hmm. as opposed to a white one they'll put it like five minutes away from your house yeah or they just say you need a valid government id but then some will accept other but then some won't accept certain ones or they'll say you need a valid driver's license even though a certain segment of minority populations don't have access to a valid driver's license and it's just all these ways that don't seem racist on the surface but then you really look at the numbers it's like oh this is targeting black people specifically yeah you know what's really interesting about talking about politics is the majority of at least what i'm saying you've you've probably thought about this a lot more a lot of what i'm saying is parroting stuff that i've heard and like i've put some critical thought into it but i don't have that many genuine unique ideas um, mm-hmm. and if you spent four years thinking about it, i'm curious do you have any very like any unique takes on politics that like haven't you haven't really seen it shared in the media very much 
Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, everything I say is just 100% generally from me. I'm one of the greatest political thinkers <laughs> of our age, naturally. But there is a lot of stuff I have read and that I do kind of parody, parody. I mean, my entire thesis was sort of just me researching the issue of populism, looking at what other people had written, and then sort of trying to synthesize and bring that together. And I think if you do get enough trustworthy surface sources together and you see them saying similar things, you can get a kind of, you can get as clear a picture of you as you can of what's happening out there. Yeah. Um, to take that to the opposite side of the spectrum, do you think fascism could ever be good? Like if it was a, an AI so it's not it's not working for monetary benefit it didn't have friends and corporations that it was trying to benefit but it's one leader that's kind of ruling everyone in a benevolent way like if you programmed it to have good morals i'm, I'm not sure how in favor of robot hitler i am but <laughs> <laughs> i just feel like i mean i haven't studied fascism too much i think i've gotten what most people in the u.s have gotten that nazis hitler bad hitler bad <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> as a generalized rule and trump hitler which is you know another thing that the left is doing that just kind of if anything or i mean the rights you know the left's doing that hurts them is that they're saying oh all rights are just racist and like they're hitler they're just nazis mm. and it's i like, mean both people on both sides call the other side hitler it's, it's pretty easy to do it is and it it, it just weakens your argument because then it's like okay well now that entire side's not even going to listen to what you're saying yeah. the right's not hitler and the left's not hitler. like yes there are nazis walking around like mm -hmm. that is kind of happening there are there are nazis who seem to like some candidates more than others we yes, should say very true and then but those same people build all this propaganda around uh antifa where it's like if you look at it it's like i think everyone should be anti-fascist unless it's mm -hmm. an ai i'm, I'm pro fascist <laughs> what, do you, what do you like about fascist ais <laughs> okay so what's i mean obviously what we're currently doing we've been trying to do for hundreds and hundreds of years all around the world isn't working Mm -hmm. Okay, so from there, let's build. Okay, well, what, what haven't we tried? We haven't tried something or like ideally, yeah, it'd be cool if there was a person who was still had a stable and healthy mind, but didn't have friends or anyone to influence them for mm -hmm. malicious intent. Like, okay, well, I'm going to fuck over a whole community just to help like this friend make a couple bucks. Like mm -hmm. an AI wouldn't do that. An AI would be like, okay, instill it to value the time and energy of its people. So, okay, people are working less hours, but people have a bigger sense of community. They're happier, they're healthier, and they're freer. Like, if if that were to be a thing, I don't know. I think that would set it up for a system that's more beneficial for the human, for the mm -hmm. people. Obviously, it could turn really bad really fast. Yeah, I'm just thinking <laughs> of when they put Cleverbot on Twitter and it turned racist in Did like it? five minutes or something. Oh, man. Well, I mean, you could just put that in there. Like, all humans are equal. Boom. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one line of code that removes racism. <laughs> that removes racism and like anything against people with disabilities, whether mental or physical, that, you know, if, if any living human is equal, regardless of age, race, creed, sex, gender, that's two lines of code at most mm -hmm. that prevents any sort of discrimination. And that's what it comes down to. That's what people are afraid of. Everyone just wants a fair shot. It's like the equality of opportunity. Everyone says, I don't want to be held back for something I didn't pick, such as my race or gender. Mm-hmm. That That's is, fair. I feel like, the ultimate goal where everyone is yeah. sort of gets by on their individual ability rather than other factors that they didn't choose. However, I mean, I feel like that's sort of the constant struggle of society, trying to get to a more perfect place, but kind of realizing that that perfection is probably never going to happen. But the struggle itself is probably what you just want to keep going for and we'll get closer ah. and closer. And I feel like, I mean, again, this is probably me being optimistic, but I feel like we're closer than we've ever been before to having a more equal society i mean absolutely absolutely and just like, in terms of history i mean 
And yeah, and that's how, how can you make the argument, let's make America great again? When was it ever better than it is today? Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> I think that's a very good point. And I feel like, I mean, but looking back in the past, you can say it was better for probably the more dominant uh, group right now than yep. it used to be. And But I feel like that's just, because I think that is the thing about Trump is he does speak to a very real occurrence of kind of the especially in terms of poor white people it's not like just because they're white and male and straight it doesn't mean that they have things easy especially if they're if they are poor but i think it's and i can see how if you are of that demographic and you do look at the left and you see them really not addressing the issues that are relevant to you you can kind of see how they don't care about you or how they are saying and i did talk about this in my thesis it's kind of this feel uh, it's it was by this scholar of the last name Hochschild, which was a very interesting story where she went and lived in Louisiana in the South for a long time and started and made a lot of friends with conservatives and people who did end up voting Trump. And she kind of develops this theory that for them, they operate on this idea of a deep story, which is a story that sort of explains their life. And then this idea of the deep story, it's a bunch of people standing in a line waiting to get the American dream at the end of the line. And the line used to be moving relatively quickly, but then in recent times it's been stalled. And then you uh, see people coming in and having in. and having these so-called line cutters, oh, minorities man. or other such and saying, well, these people need extra help. We're going to put them in line in front of you. Uh, that well, doesn't really belong help, to you anymore. But they shouldn't have to start at the back of the line. Mm-hmm. And I think it, and, but, and that's the, that's the kind of idea. It's like, well, what are these, what are these people doing that gets them this? I've been working so hard my entire life, but I think, oh, yeah. and that's just how they see it. But, or at least that's the idea of how they see it. Obviously I can't generalize mm-hmm. the whole group, although I can try, <laughs> but I think it's, I think it's more just seeing other people success as it's almost like this idea of not everyone can succeed and if they're going to succeed then that means i'm going to fail but i think it's more it's less of a it's really just pitting kind of what i see as the less fortunate against each other the poor whites versus the minorities and not really focusing on who is oppressing everyone which i I would say are the corporations absolutely um but you brought up a really interesting and touchy topic that nobody ever talks about and that is that for some people to succeed, others must fail. And first off, I believe that wealth creation obviously is not a zero-sum game. Like if I invent a technology that helps both of us, mm-hmm. both of our lives improve. But in terms of social status, like if if I move up the social ladder, you yes, you have to move down, you know? And that brings us to a place where just like there's height discrepancies, which change who can play basketball professionally or not, mm-hmm. there cannot. is intelligence discrepancies. Mm-hmm. And it's something nobody likes to talk about. But the biggest factors I don't think are necessarily genetic. I think it comes down to nurture because they did this horrible, horrible study that no one wants to talk about. But they took a lot of um, in 1978, I think they did a thing where they tested the IQ of people of different genders. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of put it out there, it wasn't necessarily equal across the board. But then the way that people interpreted that is like, hey, these communities should breastfeed their kids more, not beat their kids and raise their kids in a way that's like, hey, you can do anything rather than that self-hate uh, kind of talk. Mm-hmm. And so, and then people like the Jewish communities were even higher than white community, than other white communities because they, uh, as Kanye says in his song, the Jews shared the truth on how to, how to make a dime, you know? They, they really emphasize um, wealth creation and how, how the next generation can. So mm-hmm. I think that's something that also needs to be fixed is like the education system in different parts of the country need to be more level. Mm-hmm. 
And level in what way would you say? Um, you ever seen that that picture where it's three people of different heights and they're all standing on like one box and they're like, mm-hmm. this is a quality. And then it's well, the tall one doesn't have a box. The really short one has two boxes and the middle one has one box. And it's like, this is equity. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you give the people what they need. But then it's like, the real answer is remove the, the wooden fence and build mm-hmm. a chain fence so everyone can see. And that would be a complete reform of the education system in a way that all schools in every part of the country gets an equal amount of money, not based off of like the schools in California are a boatload better because Silicon Valley makes a lot of money. Or you can even see in Oregon, the schools really that perform better in athletics, get them more money yeah. and then better schooling, really. That's just a weird happening. So I think we just need to focus on getting everyone by the time you hit 20, I'm going to say 22 because I'm 22, mm-hmm. around 22, everyone should have like a certain amount of money in their bank account, no debt. A place to live like everyone needs a starting line and at a certain age like and everyone could be like cool as soon as i hit this age i have my ground on the, my feet on the ground and i have a chance like ever there should be a starting line that's mm-hmm. what we need to make you know and then we need to kind of normalize up until that starting line so that everyone mm-hmm. has a fair shot i think that's probably more the star trek ideal where everyone oh. has where you don't have to worry about money you don't have to worry about food it's all provided for you and it's just go out and do what you're best at go out and try and to achieve get to as communism. much as you can <laughs> well it's not necessarily communism it's more extreme utopianism uh but yeah i mean obviously that's that's what you described there is sounds like a good thing sounds like a thing that we should all strive for i don't know how we get there quickly or how i uh, mean start working that's the whole thing you can't I think that the world can change for the worse quickly, but it can change for the wor- the better slowly. So I think we just mm-hmm. need to start moving in that direction, you mm-hmm. know? And I think a start to that would be w- the, the national budget for education should be normalized across all the states and all the counties. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It's weird, man. It's weird to put a bunch of people in a concrete city and they're all kind of minorities and then there's not as many teachers that are as qualified as, say, somewhere else in the country. Mm-hmm. That's and not okay. And they're usually the, probably the toughest population to teach because just yeah and their home life isn't as good not to generalize too much but like let's be truthful here it probably isn't in school neither especially if the schools treat them like prisoners with the whole metal detectors and oh my god armed guards and beyond that the other students probably make it harder neither of us ever had to worry about being physically injured when we went to school no except when i played basketball (laughs) oh my god (laughs) we're getting elbows and stuff no but that's just a weird thing, man. And I don't know how to fix that because even if you fix the education system, people aren't fit to be parents. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I don't know people that are fit to be parents. And then you can't be like, okay, well, get no robot Hitler to raise them. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh. Well, something along, like if you're okay, you're pregnant, you should get nine months of paid leave, the mo- mother and the father. And you get nine months of, you have to go to this education about how to raise your kid in a way that they won't have trauma from the way that you guys yell at each mm-hmm. other. You won't have, they won't have physical deformities because of the way that you let them play video games all day. Or, you know, people, there needs to be a, like a nine month thing while she's pregnant. That's like, all right, this is how to raise the, the person, the conscious being that you're bringing into the planet. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of, I mean, but one of our friends, Ty Williams, he's talked to me about his ideas of how 
of communal living and having a kid kind of raised collectively by the town and then if they're not really getting the best home life they can kind of swap to another parent he can probably tell you more about that that's sort of the gist i got from when he ranted at me once shout out to ty he's going to be coming on the show hopefully the 6th of september so that's exciting yeah exciting there Um, you go a preview i'm not someone else actually mentioned um, that two two house uh, two two parent households are what you typically see, but there mm-hmm. are three parent households and more. And like, yeah, I don't know. I think oh, I just haven't experienced it. So anything that I would say on that topic is coming from a place of complete ignorance to the right. point that I can't even bring up. Well, a- that doesn't mean you can't say th- something and be very assured that what you're saying is good. <laughs> well, that's where you get into dangerous territory. If I were to espouse nonsense, I would say that. I think monogamous relationships should be moderately enforced in our society. Moderately enforced. Yeah, not How? like not physically like enforced by vi- the threat of violence. Or As it should if be monogamous relationships are the better. better. Yeah, I think they should be socially enforced. If you look at other primates and stuff, like typically non-monogamous, such as the bonobos and stuff, I don't necessarily. I don't know, but I guess the chimpanzees are more aggressive. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, that seems different from what we were talking about earlier with people not being fit to be parents and probably having like kids raised more collectively yeah okay so so i guess if you had a kid with five or 20 parents you know that's so much conflicting input but if you had two mm-hmm. par- but then how- well i guess you could kind of liken that to growing up in a large family where yes. you have all your aunts and uncles and grandparents around i mean my yeah. family is mostly in california so i've only really grown up with my two parents and then i'll see everyone mm-hmm. uh on the holidays but i know a lot of people who their family is all in town and they see them very frequently and there i know a lot of people who live with their grandparents and just to have it said the hispanic community has a better sense of family and community than the typical white community white community does Mm -hmm. like i think there's different conceptions of what the family unit should be like more yes but they seem happier they seem happier because they have people to reach out to if they're experiencing depression they're not alone but a lot Mm -hmm. of people in the white community just feel disenfranchised they feel like it's just me against the fucking world you know and that's i don't know that gets to an interesting place. But to go back a quick second, I think it is also very ideologic to be like, oh, there should be just a happy monogamous parenthood that like mm-hmm. raised a kid. That typically isn't what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. No. And yeah, I feel like that's sort of just been the default for all society with, you know, the two parents, male, female, and then the two kids. And that's obviously very much not the norm for every family. But that's sort of the ideal that our society has put up is that that's what the family should be and we haven't really looked at what else i mean our society at large hasn't really looked at what families could be in other situations but i think like what what what's another situation just i think you're more going to communal. non-monogamy here well i mean there's people <laughs> <laughs> i mean monogamy's worked out for me so far but other people are more I mean, there's polyamorous relationships, people who yep. want, uh, but I, I don't know so much. I don't know. I don't know too much about well, any of that. Let me but. make another quick shout out. If anyone's listening to this and they're in a, a happy polyamorous relationship with kids, with or without kids, but regardless, if you're in a happy, open relationship or come on my show, I would be happy to throw around ideas with you because I currently believe that it's not uh facilitating a happy healthy stable mind state mm-hmm. um i mean not even just polyamory i've read re- articles that were very interesting of people living with their best friends and their best friend's partner and then the kid is in the picture there too which is also very interesting that would be interesting but 
Here's a really interesting take that I think it bases off the word of God, work of God's sod, but William von Hippel actually brought it up. Where okay, so you're in a relationship and there's two options. You're not going to like either option, but you have to pick one. Okay, okay. Ready? So one is that your life, that your partner, your monogamous partner, goes out and sleeps with someone else, mm -hmm. and it's a one-off event. They never talk again, and it's just just wild night. Is and he the hotter other, than me? You never know. You never get to meet it, but you know it happened. Okay. And then the other one is. He probably wasn't. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> who is no um, <laughs> the other option is they go out and develop a very intense emotional mm. connection where they're staring into each other's eyes and wow. having longing conversations but I they never talk never they never they're i mean they never they never physically touch they never physically touch wow um those are your two options which would you pick which would you prefer that your partner they're guaranteed to never touch and the other one, and the other one, they're guaranteed to never speak again. That sounds again. awkward. <laughs> well, you, well, it's just like a very It's a yeah. platonic friendship. I guess that kind of the heart of that question is like, do does it does it bother you more if they're physically intimate or emotionally intimate? Yes, I mean that's kind of the the basis of it. Which would mm -hmm. you pick? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Your future wife's listening to this. Okay. Uh, you know, I've. I mean, I've never really, I guess I wouldn't really know until either of those things happened, but I guess just theoretically in my mind, I feel like it wouldn't bother me if they, <laughs> <laughs> or I wouldn't be bothered as much if it was just a one-off thing and they never oh, spoke to each other whoa. again. Are you serious? That yeah, is not seriously. where I thought you were going with it. Holy cow. Okay. Traditionally, guys pick the emotional uh, mm. cheating, as you would say it, because um, the woman knows that she's the mom regardless. She knows that she's the mom, mm -hmm. but you as the male don't know that you're the dad. So if she mm -hmm. is intimate with someone else, you could be like raising a kid. That's technically maybe not yours. Not that that necessarily is super important to you, but uh -huh. biologically it is. <laughs> but the female, if the male goes off and starts having an emotional relationship with someone else, he could start diverting his resources to someone else. Mm -hmm. So they typically go along those lines. That's really interesting that you didn't pick yeah, and I guess I don't curve. care about allocating resources to my offspring. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I've never really... I mean, sometimes I think my preferred method of having a kid would just be adopting because... Whoa, really? Yeah, I mean, I, that's what's less about sort of just passing on my biology and more of just like, wow, the world's getting more messed up with climate change. Do I really want to be responsible for bringing another kid in this and being like you're gonna have to deal with this more than me but i i wanted to have you so deal with it that's so or if you funny. just adopt someone it's like you were born anyway <laughs> well i think there needs to be more people consciously having children mm. is where i'm coming from i think there's enough people having kids all over in third world countries and all around the world mm -hmm. that are doing so because they're afraid that their current offspring won't survive or they're just like trailer people like i'd like fucking Props to them. You know, it's happening. I'm, you know, or they don't have anyone. adequate access to birth control. Yeah, or yeah. Tons, there's tons of reasons. But I think that there aren't people who are intellectually and wealth stable having kids and mindfully raising them in a way to mm -hmm. help perpetuate a world that is better than it currently is. So mm -hmm. I'm of the stance that I think people like like you, you're a wonderful person, oh, should have you. kids. You know, you should perpetuate those okay. genes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a weird way to put it but going against it is like biology is real you know mm -hmm. it's a weird thing someone posted on facebook i try my best not to get into facebook arguments but someone uh -huh. posted that they're like i think they're better than twitter arguments oh, probably do you, do you go on twitter no i mean i have a twitter because ty again shout out 
uh, created one for me, <laughs> okay. but I don't go on it. Do you want to do you want a super quick pitch to your? Do you want people to like follow your work anywhere? Look you up? Uh, shout please, you out? please don't look me up. Uh, <laughs> I don't exist as far as you're concerned. Uh, leave me alone. He actually lied about his name at the beginning of the show. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> or um, did I? But so someone posted that they're like, I think society puts too much importance on romantic relationships, and it mm-hmm. should be more around community. I'm like. I do think we need a bigger sense of community, but if you look at it biologically, like things like elk and stuff will literally fight each other to the death just to fuck every summer or whenever that, you know, I'm like, okay, other animals will literally put their lives at risk, something that they won't yeah. do for anything well, else. I think humanity likes to think of itself as above that, yes, as not it having d- to fight for quite so deadly for mates as other animals and that we can kind of pursue more idealistic goals or things kind of beyond just procreation and survival and that was the exact argument that someone gave me oh, well, good. and then i respond or they they said bringing a biological view into this is reductionist i'm like really you think re- taking reproduction to a biological place is reductionist like how can you i don't know and i get your point of view like we are evolved being that's why we have mm-hmm. monogamy hypothetically yes that's and why we have peanut love. butter m&ms oh my god they're good i've been giving them to guests and i like that you're i not appreciate it um for brian's entire talk i was actually pretty much eating um ah. chips and stuff and m&ms well i ate before i came here because i didn't want to be starving yeah i'm actually i'm actually playing around with the idea of being hungry um dang duong who came on episode 11 i haven't put out the talk where he talks about it but mm-hmm. he did a seven day dry fast where not only did he not eat he didn't drink water my mom's been getting into intermittent fasting where she doesn't eat for two days and that concerns two me days <laughs> that shouldn't it eating is a social norm they're a social construct much like death and sleep no everyone will argue (laughs) are you saying if i don't eat i won't die well yeah yeah blatantly like you can go up to like 40 days without dying as long as you don't as long as you reintroduce food slowly that's Mm -hmm. where you die i feel like i've gone 40 days without dying while eating at the same time that's so funny (laughs) i think i think it's more of um it's like a way of breaking your uh, idea of social constructs being like Uh oh this is just a social thing that you're supposed to eat three times a day. Like lately, That's I've been, true. I've been yeah. eating one, maybe two meals a day. I have noticed I feel like I used to be like, oh man, it's lunchtime. I better yeah. eat something. But now these days I'm like, eh, I'll eat when I'm hungry. Exactly. And that's how it should be. That's how it's always been. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a lot of animals will eat one day, go two days off and then catch another thing and eat something. Like mm-hmm. we didn't evolve. Like evolution doesn't move as quick as technology is. So you, 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 you're definitely sounding a lot like my mom right now. Am I? <laughs> She's just been <laughs> preaching the same thing. She sends me links and stuff. She sends you links. That's I so never funny. read them. I'm so sorry, Oh, mom. my God. No one, ever re- <laughs> no one ever reads them. Do you read? I mean, I guess in your line of work, you kind of have to read all the time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy reading and being informed about certain things. And definitely school gave me an outlet to where I would have to do that. Do you, th- uh, do you think school is set up in a good way right now? that's a that's a big question um i'd say i mean it depends on the school depends on the country depends on a lot of different things and of course access to education is a big issue but i think most i and of course and then there's the whole different issue of how much resources are being allocated to athletics and how much importance placed on that as opposed to well that's actual a, that's a self-sustained cycle isn't it? like say osu spends 10 million on athletics but football brings in 20 million like is that really a problem you know after going to the uvo for four years oh. i feel like <laughs> most of the money came in definitely went to the athletics and yeah. uh, our tuition kept rising but hey we're getting a new hayward field so that's nice i guess 
Yeah, that's got to be <laughs> sickening when you're okay. You're however much in debt that you are. Maybe not if you're lucky, mm-hmm. but I then, haven't checked. I don't want to. That's so funny. <laughs> Fuck you, Navient. No. <laughs> there was a tweet where Navient's like, "Hey, we made it on the Fortune 500 company," and then like someone just underneath, like, "I couldn't afford much food this month. Thanks." Yeah, or it's like those uh, jokes where it's like so and so, like whoever's the current administration has created like whatever million more jobs, and it's like, "Yep, I have three, and I still can't afford." To yeah, <laughs> it's a weird 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 world um, yeah but we, anyway i think universities most at least the universities i've been in contact with i feel like their ultimate goal is still to provide knowledge and to facilitate places of learning i no? don't believe that okay. one bit um well oh, you went to osu so i went I to osu know. um and not to like sh- like detriment the school the university which is a weird mm-hmm. word a university that i went to um but their goal is to get more students and make more money. That's blatantly their That's goal. That's also a goal. Yeah. They didn't care about me. I, I, I as feel an like, undergraduate, they didn't care about me. Yeah. I definitely... But you see, I feel like... I feel that stuff. I feel like it's the difference between the administration and then just the teaching faculty. And I think the teaching faculty is definitely committed to providing spaces for people to learn and think. But then there's the administration, which is all about the numbers and getting more enrollments. And I feel like those are at odds sometimes. And I even noticed that in our high school, where it seems yeah. like, I mean, they would change the rules every couple of years just to see if they could get more people in, and mm-hmm. the teachers tried to cope as best they could. And their their income wasn't rising with no. the amount of our tuition rising. No, we definitely don't pay teachers as much as we should for what they're doing. No, and so the teachers also teach more kids, don't get more money, but the administration who brings in more people get more money. Yeah, and I feel like, I don't know, there's that one quote where it's like, war is too important to be left up to the politicians, and I feel like education is too important to be left up to administrators. Let me take that But I also don't work in education. War is too important to be left up to politicians. I think that's the quote. Is it don't ironic? quote me on that quote. Is it ironic? I don't think war is important. I think war is the, the well, I think it's more thing. of like a quote as if it should be the generals who make the military decisions, not the politicians who don't really, who want to just get raise their ratings or oh, approval. I don't, I, but don't, I, mean, I don't know, man. It's just a quote I've heard. I am very, very, very against the military industrial complex. And that's a good I, thing. I would go as far to say, I believe that the military, military industrial complex is the people, the the entity that assassinated JFK, MLK, mm-hmm. John Lennon, and maybe even Gandhi. I don't really know about Gandhi. Um, I know he maybe. dated like a 13-year-old, so I've always been like, I don't know how much I believe him. Um, <laughs> obviously, he did a lot of good things, um, and that totally could have been propaganda I was reading. Maybe he was a really good person. Mm-hmm. But that's weird. That's weird that there's a machine that makes billions of dollars off killing people, and when some people, like Jimi Hendrix too, Jimi Hendrix and uh, Jan- like all those people kind of start making music that make people not want to support the war, or a politician doesn't want to support the war, they happen to die. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, <laughs> really, I, I feel like Jimi Hendrix died because of his lifestyle choices involving drugs and alcohol and whatnot, if as you were did gonna... a lot of different rock stars. Well, okay, so they assassinated JFK by having some random nobody kill him, and then he was immediately killed by a mobster. And then if they're like, oh, that kind of caused a lot of attention, you know, let's maybe kill this guy with like a drug overdose. That's totally reasonable for like, mm-hmm. you know, rock stars. They, they overdose. So <laughs> who the fuck knows what actually happened? Right. I mean, I, I, I never really have bought into these government conspiracy theories because it always makes the government seem more capable than I feel like <laughs> it actually is. If they can cover up the JFK assassination, then, you know, why isn't my debt going down? Well, it's not the government. I think it's the military. The I military. think it's the war, the war machine that's going on. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. That's the difference between first and third world countries, I believe, is if they participated in the Cold War and spent all this time building up infrastructure, right? 
I believe. I could be mistaken on that. Yeah, what was the question? Uh, that's the difference between first world countries and third world countries is if they participated in the Cold War. I think so, it's more just a... It's first world versus third world. Uh, it's more just levels of income, levels of just but, standards of living, I think. But more. it's because if the first world countries participated in the Cold War, it may have been a different war, but I'm pretty sure it was the Cold War where mm -hmm. they spent all this time I and money... I want to say those terms are around before the Cold War. Really? I'll look it up. If I okay. look up stuff, sometimes it kills the audio. I'll look it up. I'll have you back on in a All couple right. months. Very cool. Um, this was a blast. We actually just hit an hour. Oh, wow. Yeah. It doesn't feel like an hour. No, it goes by quick when you start getting into it. It's interesting because like the very first like probably five or ten minutes of the conversation was just kind of like, you know, like getting mm -hmm. somewhere. But then once you hit like this very, you know, both people have an opinion about yeah. something. I feel like once we hit Robot Hitler, it was oh just, we just didn't stop. It goes off from there. Well, I appreciate your time, man. I got to get to Thomas is throwing like a open mic hip hop curry event and I'm, all right. I'm supporting him winning mayor. So I gotta, I gotta make it there to at least understandable. You know, support well, it. thank you for having me on. And this was a very interesting conversation. Yeah. I don't usually have conversations like these so yeah. i appreciate the opportunity thanks for coming on man i'm looking forward to having you back and yeah. uh take care everyone i think someone is going to start making t-shirts soon i'm not going to make money off it but they are and that's cool um and then also vote for thomas hira for mayor in 2020 wow if anyone's okay. listening to who likes listening <laughs> to arguing for t like an hour straight i don't think we are arguing no we're, we're debating ideas yes we're just throwing we're, we're parroting a lot i would push back on that stance you took about us arguing i would disagree <laughs> strong i fuck you for even having it <laughs> all right take care everyone <laughs>